Well, good morning. You know, it's not an unusual thing for us to come to the place where we we just we want some change. We see some things in our life that just they've got to change, and yet. This is a struggle, isn't it? Because it is, it is almost a rare thing in life for, for significant and lasting change to actually take place and, well, take root. At least the kind of change that we want, that's hard. Everyone wants to improve their physical fitness, right? <laughs> but no one wants to work out. <laughs> And no one wants to keep on working out. We all want to be healthier. But who wants to eat that stuff day after day? I mean, come on. And who doesn't want to be smarter? And yet, very few of us will give ourselves to lifelong, in-depth study. Significant and lasting change generally only comes when we experience, let me call it this, a moment of awakening. Uh, when we come to that place where uh, the reality that we have is not the reality that we want and, and we get to a place where we are just no longer willing to have things stay the same. That's when wanting becomes choosing. We have to want to be different, and, and we've got to take that next step to choose to be different. We've got to actively embrace significant, real-life adjustments because change only happens when we choose a different path. In a sense, this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to in the portion of Luke chapter 9 that we're going to be looking at today, he, he's calling them to, to choose to follow him. Here, Jesus calls the crowds and his disciples to himself, and he challenges them to take their eyes off of living for themselves and to pursue instead the far greater thing of living for him and for his kingdom. Jesus tells his disciples and, and dear friends, he says the same thing to us. He tells us that we've got to choose. We've got to decide what it is we are going to live for, for ourselves or for Christ. We've got to decide whose side we're on. Well, let's take a look at what Jesus says. Grab your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 9. You know the drill. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and to follow along as I read it. Luke chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 23, and we're only going to look at, at three vitally important verses this morning. So Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, Luke records, Jesus says, it says, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me 
will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, God, I I ask that you would help us to comprehend, to understand, to absorb this vitally important passage. And Lord, that we could, we could take it that next step, Lord, from understanding to, to seeing how it intersects with our lives, see what it is that, that you are calling us to, and God, that we would, we would then make that vital jump to choose. God, that we would be that anyone, that we would be those who choose to come after you. God, that we could begin to live out the things that your word calls us to. Lord, we, we know we don't have it in us. We don't even have it in us to choose that. And so we invite you, we ask you to, to help us understand, help us to see, to perceive, help us to choose. And then, Lord, transform us, work in us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I I hope by now you understand that that you cannot uh, just simply um, understand the meaning of a passage of Scripture without, at least in, in some regard, considering its context. That's why I so often take a moment of our time to remind us of the bigger picture as we study a passage of Scripture. And here in Luke chapter 9, let me remind you of this. What we read, what Jesus says here, it's the culmination, it's the end, it's the climax, the high point of a conversation that Jesus began with his disciples clear back in in verse 18 when they had arrived at Caesarea Philippi. You remember that? It was there that Jesus pointedly asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gives the answer, the correct answer. Peter says, you are God's Messiah. Jesus is the promised one that Isaiah 7 speaks of, the one who would be Emmanuel or God with us, God in human flesh. But if you remember from last week, Jesus then gave his disciples a very different picture of what it was that Emmanuel, the God with us, that the Messiah would do. He affirms that he is the Christ, the Savior, but he is not going to do what they expect. He is God in human flesh, but he has not come this time to rule and to reign. He's come to save souls, not to conquer the Romans. He's not going to ascend to a glorious throne, not yet anyway. He's not... Instead, he's going to to be hung on a shameful cross in our place. And so Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer many things, that he must be rejected by the religious leaders, 
that, that he will be killed. And why? Because he has chosen to become our sacrifice, an innocent substitute for you and I, for we who are guilty. As Hebrews 10.10 puts it, we have been sanctified. We've been made clean through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. You see, on the cross, uh, on the cross so long ago, God's perfect justice was satisfied. His demand for punishment for all sin that was just and right and true, it was satisfied when Jesus took the punishment for our sin, for mine and for yours. You see, he suffered not just to suffer. He suffered in our place. He suffered so that we could be saved, so that you and I might be not only redeemed or bought, but that we would be sanctified or cleansed, that we would be rescued from the guilt for our sin. That's what Jesus came to do. And that is, that's what he did. And the question is then, how are we to respond to that? How do you respond to a savior who dies in your place? Well, that's what, that's what we're gonna see in our passage this morning. How is it that we respond to what Jesus has done for us? And look at verse 23. Jesus begins to describe what it looks like for someone to respond to him. And Jesus says, this is what it means. This is what it's going to look like when someone chooses to become his disciple. Look at verse 23. He said to them all, if anyone would follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Understand this clearly. Salvation is by grace. We are saved when we simply put our trust, our faith in Jesus. As, as Jesus says in John 336, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We're not talking about earning your salvation. We're talking about responding to it. Here, Jesus, he, he tells us what it is that he calls us or commands us to do once we are saved. Understand, getting saved Coming to salvation, that is just the beginning of a journey. That's just the ship leaving port. That isn't the final destination. That's the, just the beginning of this grand adventure that God desires to, to lead us through. Becoming a disciple, it's not an optional experience. Oh, it is something we have to choose. It's a command, and since it's a command, it is something that then must be obeyed, and that's a choice. You know what, though? Even in that, he helps us because we need that help, don't we? Uh, listen to what Philippians 2.13 says. I love this. Paul says to the Philippians here, it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. What's Paul saying? 
Paul's saying God gives us not only the ability to do what he asks us to do, he even gives us the want to. He even gives us the desire, the the willingness to obey his command. God commands us, but then he draws us to himself. He empowers us to obey. We must simply choose. But what is it that we're choosing? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. There in verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me. So notice, this is for all of us. This wasn't just for the special forces, right? For, for the, the spiritual special forces, the disciples, you know, those guys who do things that we can't even imagine doing. It, 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 this is for everyone. Notice that he called not only his disciples, but the crowds. And he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, understand what Jesus describes here are not three distinct uh, disconnected commands, but it's more like three facets of the life of discipleship. The person, any and every person who comes to Christ, we are called, we're commanded by him to become disciples, to become his followers, and this is what that looks like. Jesus says that it looks like the denial of self, the taking up of our cross in the following of him in his pattern of life. Of course, the question is, what in the world do those things mean? What does that mean in, in, in real life? Understand this, they are not rules, okay? They aren't rules for Christian living. In fact, following Jesus isn't at all about following rules. I don't know, there's two groups that, that are freaking out when I say that. Uh, you know, kind of roughly, it's parents and children. Parents, don't tell my kids it's not about following rules. That's my only hope for sanity. You know, if I don't have rules, they're, they're going to go nuts. And the kids are like, everything I hear is rules. You know, why is everything rules if it's not about rules? It's not about rules. It's about following the ruler of all. When asked to sum up the the rules of the Bible, roughly, Jesus said this, love God with absolutely everything you've got, everything you are, and love your neighbor selflessly. You see, the Christian life isn't constricted or controlled living. Rather, it's about living our lives as an act of worship. It's it's life lived as an expression of love for Jesus, who is our Savior. It's choosing to live our life for him rather than to live for ourselves. So here, Jesus says that any who follow him, that this is what it's going to look like. They will deny themselves. Now, this is not about self-denial. Okay, I know those sound the same, don't they? But but they're different. It's not about giving something up. It's like, oh, I'm a Christian, so I won't eat chocolate for one week a, a year. You know, you know, it isn't about giving stuff up. It's about denying self, not denying to give yourself stuff. Denying yourself. 
It's no longer living for yourself. It's, it's letting go of self-determination, of self-definition, of self-rule. It means instead that we are going to allow Christ to determine our identity and our place in this world. It means we are going to allow Christ to define who we are and what it is that we are all about. It means that we are going to allow Christ to expend our life. Yes, spend it. You know what happens with money when you spend it? I know most people don't get this these days. You don't have it anymore. Once you spend it, it's no longer yours. Did you, did you know that? Our life, we're going to give it to Christ to spend it, which means we won't have it anymore, however he chooses. What it's about is submission to Christ. But, but understand, submission to Christ is talking about not those areas where you agree with him, you know where Jesus is, do this, and you go, oh, that's good. I like doing this. Yes. No, that's not submission. That's agreement. Submission is about those places where we don't agree, where we don't like it, where it doesn't look like it's going to work out well for us. What's it talking about? Well, the kind of stuff that Jesus talks about when he says that you're to take up your cross. You're to take up your cross. Now, understand in that day, in that day, taking up your cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant your life was over. It meant certain death. Did you know that just a few miles from Nazareth where Jesus grew up, when he was about 11 years old, there was a man who led a rebellion. He attacked a, an armory uh, that was just a few miles away from uh, a Roman armory uh, just a few miles away from Nazareth, he and about 2,000 of his friends broke in. They took a bunch of weapons, but then the Romans overwhelmed them, and they crucified all of them along the roads around that city. Young Jesus and his disciples would have walked those roads, lined on either side for miles with people who were crucified. Crucifixion meant one thing only. It meant your life was over. Anyone who took up their cross, <laughs> they were carrying the instrument of their execution, and they were carrying it to the place of their execution. It meant that they had a sentence of death, and, and they would very soon be dead. The man who carried his cross no longer had any plans or goals. He had no need for a calendar. The rest of his day, his schedule has been cleared. Though he was still living, he no longer had his own life. His life was no longer his own. And so Jesus says, take up your cross. You're living, but followers of Christ are no longer to call our lives our own. We, in that sense, have no need of a calendar. Our schedule has been cleared. We now serve at the pleasure of the king. For the follower of Christ, this path, it means 
to daily, because notice that Luke says we're to do this daily. We're to be prepared, literally, to meet with persecution, maybe even death. Our life is no longer ours to protect in that sense. But we are to so completely identify ourselves with Christ that we will be willing to suffer as he did, even to die as he did. It also means being willing to to forfeit your life in the figurative sense, to choose to live your life for Christ without reservation, without limitation, without any self-investment in this world to now expend our life for him and for what he desires. And again, Luke says this is to be a daily thing. Each day I must choose to live for Christ instead of myself without regard to my own preferences. Each day I must choose to pursue his kingdom, not mine, without regard to whether it is to my advantage or not. Each day I must choose to live his way, not my way, without regard to where that leads. And then Jesus says, let him follow me. Let him follow me. Let him live like I have lived. Let him be like I am. You know, if the first two facets address the end of the old way of our living, then this third facet describes the new pattern of life. The following of Christ, imitating of Christ. The negative facet spelled out the end of living as we please. And now this third facet, it calls us to the positive, to live as Christ pleases, to choose his path for our lives, to choose the path of obedience to him. Oh, that we could all say what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Now here Paul is talking about why it is that he is saved, what it is that has saved him, that it's not his own works, and yet it expresses as well a truth about the choice that Paul has made in living. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Understand this. Christ did not save you so that you could continue to live your life for yourself. He saves us so that we can then live like he did, that we can begin to live not selfishly, but selflessly. Day by day, season after season, our lives, Christian, are to be less and less about us and more and more about being Christ's ambassadors to this world in which we live. Now, does that seem radical? Does it seem like it's maybe asking too much? Is the price possibly higher than what you would expect of religion. Well, let me remind you that the one who asks you of this is God himself, the creator of all that is, including you.
And let you let me remind you that, that, that we're talking about God Almighty who is absolutely perfect in every way, whose justice is undeniably faultless and whose love is graciously abounding. And let, we, let me remind you that we're talking about the one who, though he was absolutely guiltless, he took your guilt and your shame. And though he was utterly sinless, because he loves you, he bore your sin. Any lesser response is an insult to his glory, to his love, to who he is. Verse 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. I'll be honest, my pea brain can't bring this into focus in the reality of our lives uh, nearly as well as C.S. Lewis did. So allow me simply to read what a far greater mind has written. Lewis says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really ever be yours. Nothing that in the end has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. It's sad to think about it, but isn't this what we see as some people's lives come to an end? There's a reason that there's a, a, a cliche of being a bitter old man, an angry old woman. Because when we choose to live life for self, I think it was Ray Stedman who said, we end up that we find ourselves with a handful of nothing but dust and ashes. But when we give away our life, when we choose to expend our life for Christ, we find as we come close to that borderland, when we come close to the edge of that transition from this life to the next, we know that we're going to reward, we're going to glory, we're going to be with the one whom we have lovingly served all these years. And there is no regret. There is no bitterness. It's all joy. Oh, I want to end like that. I don't want to be the cranky old guy yelling at people to get off my lawn, right? I want to be the one who knows 
that I've, I've spent this life well and I'm about to reap rewards. Mm. It really is the, the greatest paradox that if we live for ourselves, we lose everything. If we die to self, though, we will be the one who gains everything that is worth gaining. It's when we seek first the kingdom of God that Jesus promises in Matthew 6 that all these other things will be added to us. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19 that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children's or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Don't miss that last one. That last one's the, that, that's not just the cherry on top, that's the whole pie. That, that's everything. There is nothing greater, nothing more irreplaceable than our salvation because of eternity. And that's what Jesus points us to next. Look at verse 25. He says, for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Nothing. Nothing. The answer is nothing. It benefits them nothing. If we live for self in this life, then we will truly be utterly lost. There is nothing that we can gain that is not in the end a tragic loss if it comes at the cost of our eternal destiny. We would do well to imprint this on our eyes, to never let that thought vanish from our minds. Consider this. We are presented in this life with two scenarios. The enemy of your soul, he promises you glory and pleasure and distraction in this life. He does not seem to mention often that he also delivers suffering for all of eternity. Conversely, our Savior, our Savior Jesus promises difficulty when we surrender our lives to him, but he also delivers glory eternally. It's not a hard choice. It's not a difficult decision. Look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. What Jesus is saying here is it's time to pick sides. And when we pick sides, we stay on the team that we have chosen. It's about choosing to find our identity in Christ, finding our values and goals in him, finding our purpose for life in Christ himself. What Jesus is calling his disciples to and what he calls us to do is to choose sides, to decide which team we're going to play on. You know, the Bible is, is full of examples of God calling his people to choose sides. 
And from the very beginning, that's how it's gone. Uh, back in Genesis chapter three, I mean, we're not even the three full chapters in, it's just in the first few verses there of Genesis three, uh, when Adam and Eve, they've fallen into sin and they're, they're doing what? They're, they're hiding from God? Seriously? You're gonna hide from God. Do you not understand who he is? But they're hiding from God and what does God say? God calls out to the man and he says, where are you? Okay. Do we really think the omniscient one, the all-knowing God, just couldn't find that pesky little critter of a man that he had made? And he's like, Adam, okay, I give up. I've been looking for two hours and I'm sick of this. Where are you, Adam? No, no. God is calling out and he's saying, Adam, where are you in relationship to me? The Lord is saying, Adam, have you chosen your side? Have you made your choice, Adam? Oh, then there was Joshua. You know the story. Moses brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. Joshua takes command and leads them into the promised land. And they're in a place where they have taken possession of the promised land, but they haven't yet driven out all of the, the nations that were there before them along with their false gods. And so Joshua calls all of Israel together at the end of his time of leadership. And he challenges them. Do you remember his words? He says this, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods at the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, what words from Joshua. He calls him out. He says, it's time to choose. It's time to choose whom you will serve. Probably the most dramatic, and I think certainly the, the saddest of all the challenges to choose sides in Scripture is, is the one given by the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. You see, there we read about how under the rule of the wicked king Ahab, Israel had turned to idol worship, to the worship of Baal. And so we read, Elijah came near to all the people the nation had been gathered and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? In other words, how long will you waver back and forth? How long will you ride the fence? Elijah says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And, and then we see, what is so incredibly tragic here. Look at how the people respond. The people did not answer him a word. They didn't answer him a word. There as Elijah was about to go head to head with the, the prophets of Baal. God is about to do an amazing thing. Elijah has just God called God's people out to take a stand, to choose a side. And the people respond with ambivalence. They look at Elijah as maybe some of you are looking at me and say, man, you're getting awful worked up. 
just uh, chill, chill out a little, man. It's okay. It's all good. No, it's not. It's not all good. Don't be like the Israelites who would not commit. You know, I think, in a sense, they saw themselves as being neutral. Oh, you know, it's, it's all good. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not bad, but, you know, I'm not going to get carried away with this either. Please understand, there is no such thing as neutral. Oh, don't take my word for it, okay? What does a knucklehead like me have to say about anything? Take Jesus' word for it. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Think about that. Think about that. If you have not surrendered yourself to Christ, don't fool yourself into thinking you're okay. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're neutral. Jesus says, if you are not for me, you're against me. And Christian, Christian, if you are just sitting back and you are not involving yourself in his work, in gathering with him, guess what? Then Jesus looks and he says, you're scattering. You're not neutral. You're not only not helping, you're a problem. It's time for us to respond. It's time for us to choose sides. It's time for us to step forward, to no longer be passive. Because passivity, that is a surrender to this world. It is a surrender to the flesh. It is a surrender to the enemy of our souls. Either we are seeking to gain this world at the expense of our soul, or we are seeking to gain the kingdom of God at the expense of the stuff of this world. That is what Jesus is pointing us to here, friends. He's calling us to be those who seek him, who follow him, who invest, who expend our lives for his kingdom. In 1920, Robert Frost wrote a poem that school kids ever since then have had to read. The Road Not Taken. In its closing lines, he famously says this, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Dear friends, I, I don't know where Robert Frost was at <laughs> in regards to the Lord Jesus, but let me tell you, when I was 16, I came to a crossroad and I took the road less traveled by. Not because I had any sense, not because I was noble, but because God is gracious. And that choice, though I have 
messed it up and wandered off the path many times, that, that choice to take the road of surrender to Christ, of living for Christ, of, of denying self, of taking up the cross, that road has made all the difference. That choice, that moment in your life, will be the moment, it will be the choice that for all of eternity you will look back on. And like Frost, you will say that it has made all the difference. Choose Christ. Choose to be his disciple, to expend your life for him. Choose to embrace the denial of self, no longer living for self, the taking up of the cross, the ending of the old life. Choose the following of the Savior, to walk in his steps by his power, because we will never do it on our own. We can't. He will give us not only the want to, but the ability to. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would powerfully grab hold of us this morning. God, those who have come to that deciding point and they have chosen you, affirm them, fan the flame, encourage them, refresh them, renew them. Lord, for those who have not yet chosen you, they have not even re received your forgiveness that they might choose you this morning. God, grab hold of them. Help them to see the freedom they can have, the cleansing, the joy the hope. And Lord, for those who, though they have received your salvation, they, they are not gathering with you. Stir their hearts, Lord. Stir them up. Activate them. Father, let this be a moment of change, a fork in the road of their life that they would live for you and for your kingdom. God, that's what we desire. Speak to us, Lord, as we worship you. Make us aware of your presence with us. Receive not only the offering of our worship, but the worship of our living as we love you with our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name.